My name's Rod. I am not Jason. Whatever gets said this morning, do not blame Jason, because my name's Rod. I'm struggling a little bit because the prayer team prayed for me before I share this with you this morning, and they kept calling me Todd, so I'm having a little bit of a personality disorder. Also, I needed to unwrinkle my jeans this morning, so I put them in the dryer, and they are super tight right now. So I feel like a megachurch preacher, and my jeans are too tight. Also, the message that I had written is the opposite of what you just shared. I was going to say, do this by yourself, not with others. So we're going to be winging it. That's a joke. This is called warming up the audience. That's what I'm doing. So you're in a series called Groups. And if I'm right, I haven't been here the past two Sundays, but I believe that you guys have listened to or talked about the concept of up and in and out, up our relationship with God, in our relationship with each other pertaining to groups, and Jason asked me if I would talk about out. So if those three words are foreign to you, then I'm doing part three of something that you have done nothing of, and hopefully it works a little bit. I will start by telling you three things. I gave my cat a bath the other day, and he loved it. But I had to quit early because his hair kept sticking in my tongue. That's not my joke. That joke is from Steve Martin, and the reason I tell you is because The reason that joke is funny is not because of the three things I said, it's because of your assumptions. I gave my cat a bath. Well, you're shocked because no one gives their cat a bath. He loved it, and you're like, cats don't love baths. And then I tell the whole story, the truth of the story. I've been licking my cat, and there's the switch. And the truth makes it funny, and the truth reveals the whole thing. Is anyone here love to preach or speak in front of people? Raise your hand. People who like to speak in front of people have no problem raising their hands, right? Here's a little secret for you. The formula, and I usually don't give formulas for a really good sermon, is found in Steve Martin's comedy routine. You tell a story that people already have assumptions for, and then you tell them the truth of that story. And it's funny. And I think the Word of God works the same way. When we open it, we have so many assumptions about what we read that when we dive more deeply into it and discover some maybes, some wonderings, some deeper things maybe going on, we find that there's a greater truth and that truth begins to transform us. So this morning, we're going to start with John 19, 25 through 27. A verse that I have, a couple verses that I have not heard a lot of pastors preach on before. And so that makes it safe for me so that you can't be like, I've heard this preached on and this guy did way better than Rod. You've probably never heard this preached on before. And so I'm going to be the best preacher you've ever heard on these verses. Near the cross, that was, that was a joke too. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved 
standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I find this passage so unique because this is the last command that Jesus gives on the cross. After this, he says, it is finished. He gives up his spirit, and then he goes and does the real job. So Jesus dies on the cross. Those of you who don't know this, Jesus dies on Andu. Jesus dies on the cross. He then goes to hell where it is believed that he gets the keys of Hades. In the Psalms, we read, lift up your head, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, and the King of glory will come in. Jesus is coming and he's taking the keys to hell and he's bringing them back so that death doesn't have to rule in our lives, right? That baby is just saying amen. So that death does not have to rule in our lives. And yet right before he does all of that, Right before Jesus does like the big work that we preach on and we hear about Easter and we talk about the gospel and the cross and what's really happening on, in all of that, right before he does that, this is his command. Woman, here's your son and this is your mother. Which means to me, if Jesus is going to hell and eternity is at stake, eternity is at stake, What on earth is he talking about? Because he just did something that's super practical and super worldly. He's not like, hey, wait a minute. I'm going to actually go to hell, fight demons, get the keys of hell, come back, and then give everyone eternal life. He's like, no, I'm reordering your family now. And when we read this, we assume, well, he loves Mary and he wants her taken care of. But what I get in this, what I wonder about, is if Jesus is making a point that What happens here on this planet, in your life, in my relationships, if what happens here, even though this seemingly bigger thing is happening in in, in the unseen realms, if what happens here really matters, and really matters a lot. And so in my mind... Jesus is transitioning and everyone gathered around the cross in all of their minds what a family actually is. The reason I think this is because when I hear Jesus talk about mothers and children, I go back to maybe the book of Mark where people ask him, your mother and brothers are worried about you. And he says, who are my mother and brothers? And he changes the way everyone thinks at that point. And then I see him walk through the town of Jericho, which is filled with rich people, which is filled with powerful people, and he's passing through Jericho. And the one place he stops at is a tree where this short tax collector is hiding, and then he goes to that guy's house and has a meal and brings all of his friends there. And then I see him pass pass by a town out in the desert and stop by a well where there's a Samaritan woman and spend time with her and radically transform her life and in so doing, transform that town. Jesus, if you follow his life, 
if you follow his mission, it seems like it seems like every person he encounters and everyone he's talking to, the people he's bringing with him, he's saying, we're going to live our life differently in the way that we're loving people. We're going to love the different people. For me, that comes out to play biggest in, in the story of the Good Samaritan, where this guy stands up and says, you know, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus tells this story about loving the stranger, the other, the weird one, the hurting one, the oppressed one. So when I see Jesus tell a woman that there is a son who's not really her son, who is now supposed to become her son, and tell a son who this woman is not her mother, that this woman is actually her mother, I see Jesus doing more than just getting his mom taken care of for the rest of her life. I see him saying, the way that you're going to look at family is going to be very, 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 very different. You guys following me so far. Here's how I think this played out. And here's why I'm making such an outlandish claim. In Acts 2, 42-47, I didn't put it on the slides because I want you to listen to it. We read this about the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I've talked to different pastors and they've said, Rod, we're an Acts church. And I say, no, you're not. Because you're not selling your possessions <laughs> and giving to everyone who has need. There are people in your community who have need. In this community, no one had need. Because everyone was living so sacrificially. They had taken the command of Jesus to transition the unconditional love that only exists in a nuclear family and widen that so that it existed in a much bigger way over here. Same love, same thing that, that they would do for their children, they would now do for their neighbors. And that started to transform everything. And so what would happen during this time is, is Jesus had went to heaven, he had left, the church was forming, and they're doing this exact thing that I just read. They're gathering in homes regularly, they're meeting, they're selling their belongings, and they're having everything in common. And what would happen is someone from Rome or someone from outside of the church would be invited in to come to a meal. And then they would come to that meal... And they would observe what was happening. And they would kind of scratch their head because, because for the longest time there were beliefs out there um, 
that were said by the Caesar. It is by the hand of Caesar you live and you die. Caesar is the one who gives you the bread of life. And now people who are under the rule of Rome and believing that Caesar is God have stepped out of that for a moment and they've stepped into a community where people are loving each other so well that no one is without need and everyone is full of joy and everyone has everything in common and and they get invited to this space and then they say, what on earth is going on here? This is different. Why do you guys live like this? And then the person who invited them could say, well, we believe Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, and this is how Jesus taught us to live. Jesus transitioned the way that we think of our own family. We don't just take care of number one, we treat the other like they're number one. I don't just save up my resources and set them up so that the people in my immediate vicinity can someday live off of the fat of everything that I have worked for. I take everything that I have, and I tell myself, this doesn't belong to me, this belongs to God. And if it's true that this belongs to God, and God has the audacity to come down and hang on a cross and give all of himself to everyone, then now who I am and what I have also belongs to everyone else. And this is a radical way of thinking. So it's easy for Jesus to be hanging on the cross and say, you have a new mother and you have a new son. I have a new brother and a new sister. You have a, you have a new parent. You have a new family. And the way that you love each other in this way will be the way that the rest of the world sees that you are my followers. Somewhere along the lines, we really got that screwed up. And church became this space where your job is to come, critique the music, critique me, And then try again next week. And I'll try to do better next week. So that more people can come to this space. And we will call it church. The Acts Church had the best model of sharing Christ that I have ever even imagined. They loved each other so well that all someone had to do was send an invitation Come and see. Come and eat. Come and play a game. Come and just stand there. And you will be so in awe of the way that we love each other that you will say, what is going on? And at that point, we can say, this is how Jesus taught us to live. Do you want to be part of this family? Because Jesus is our Lord and not Caesar. 
This church started meeting for a while and this was happening and people were gathering daily in homes and then weekly in homes and they started to they started to structure these things and so eventually as the church began to form and structure itself they decided we're going to meet once a week and as we gather once a week we're going to have more of a of a of a professional teacher stand in front of you and that person is going to share and you're going to come and learn it. And that structure came. But, but, but if you take people who've been doing life together as a family daily and weekly. And you tell them that now they can only gather once a week in one place. And if they agree to it, what are they going to do? Well, now they're going to have to get caught up with each other. Because they haven't seen each other all week. So they come and they stand in the lobby and they talk for four hours and the preacher's up here going, where is everybody? Do they not think I'm a good preacher? No! They think you're a great preacher. They wouldn't be here. They just haven't seen each other in a whole week and now they're trying to get caught up. And so then somebody had a brilliant idea. We gotta get these people not talking to each other. So let's cut down a bunch of trees and let's make really uncomfortable seating. Fact check me on this. Google it. Fact check me. And let's make these uncomfortable seats and let's face them all the same direction. And then everyone will pay attention to the preacher in tight pants with the cool green jacket. He can feel good about himself. And the rooms started to feel, fill up based on how, how good this person was. And how good this music was. And all along the lines, we sat and we faced forward and we never learned to look at our neighbor and we never learned to hear their life story and we never heard their hurt and we never saw their struggle and we never shared our pain. So how would we even know that our job is to make sure everyone is without need? We don't even know the need. That is really good. We don't even know. And yet, in the midst of all of it, Jesus is still continuing to build his messy church that makes its messy attempts. And he still is giving us the call to break bread together, to devote yourselves to prayer and fellowship together. And when you do that, you will witness the awe and the wonder of God. You will begin to understand if you can get into proximity with people and have them into your homes. People specifically, as Jesus modeled, who are different than us. So I would say probably different, different shades of skin, different levels of economic success. Different cognitive capabilities, different emotional standings. And you can realize that we, we, we begin to have everything in common and then all of a sudden someone has a need and we're willing to be sacrificial to meet that need because that person has somehow transitioned from other Samaritan, tax collector, refugee to part of my family. This type of thing happened in our country even with, even with the porches that we have. Like, it wasn't 30, 40 years ago everyone was out on their front porch 
in the evening, waving at the neighbors. And then television entered the, entered the scene. And the radio, even before that, entered the scene. And we saw the porches get closed off. And then we saw some of the porches move to the back of the house. And then we saw fences go up around the houses. Because we wanted to be safe. And then we built, built bigger fences and bigger fences. And then we argued about how big of a fence we should build. And I'm telling you, we didn't have everything in common because, because we had learned to sit and face the same direction and hear the gospel, but never turn and live the gospel. This is my greatest struggle. This is my greatest struggle. This Christmas, this past Christmas, I'm in my house that has a closed-in front porch and a fence around the backyard. But I had made the stupid mistake of that summer having some free hot dog cookouts in my driveway, which somehow gave people the impression that they could come over whenever they wanted. And I'm trying to have Christmas with my family, And I had also made the mistake of having an evening conversation with my son one night when he was scared and couldn't go to sleep because he felt like there was something scary and dark in his room. And he said, Dad, will you pray that this thing goes away? And me, without thinking again, said, No, son, I won't pray that that thing goes away. I will pray that you understand that you are stronger than that thing. And I will pray that you are so impactful and powerful in God's kingdom that that thing is afraid of you and runs away. Big mistake. Big mistake because that Christmas when I'm trying to have family time and I've locked my fence and my front porch is closed and the shades are drawn, I hear knock, knock, knock on the back of my door and I answer the door and it's a man named Jeff and he's drunk out of his mind. And he just doesn't have anywhere to go on Christmas Eve. And so he went to the one house that had a free hot dog cookout that summer. And my son says, hey, come on in. And Jeff and Xander sit for an hour and work on a puzzle together. And they have the most beautiful conversation. And Jeff eats all of my Oreos. (laughs) The entire pack. And I realized Jeff Jeff was hungry. In North America, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, he was hungry. Didn't have a place to go. So he shows up at my house with my son, who's somehow become fearless. And is willing to sit and do a puzzle with him for an hour. Rod, why do you do this? Two months later, Jeff's standing in my driveway in tears. Has a speaker that he's trying to sell. And he says, you changed my life. You and Anna are the, the closest thing to family that I have. And all he did was do a puzzle with my son on Christmas Eve and eat all my Oreos. 
part of that made me really sad, and part of that made me feel like, wow, you have a really inspirational story to tell next time you preach. (laughs) But mostly it made me sad. Because we have Jesus followers with closed-in porches, fences around their backyards, sitting in church on Sunday morning facing forward, And it's not their fault that they're not continually reminded that we are to devote ourselves to the teaching of Jesus, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to praying together more than once a week. That we may be filled with the signs and wonders of what it means to love somebody outside yourself. That we would maybe, surprisingly, miraculously reach a place where we are willing to sell our possessions and live sacrificially so that others can be without need, without the fear of being manipulated or taken advantage of. That the books, When Helping Hurts and Toxic Charity that sit on our bookshelves that we actually never read, we just read the titles and then assumed that we shouldn't help people. That those things will go away and we can find the joy in what it means to actually take someone who is not in our family and say, you are my mother. You are my son. Because Jesus told me to do that. And this really unique, supernatural, Pentecostal, charismatic miracle happens. It's called an identity shift. When someone who has no family, like this, as if Jesus spoke it into creation in the beginning of the world, now has a family. And when we can love each other that well, then it's easy. It's easy to say, hey, will you come to this thing with me? We call it church. I just want you to see what we do. And you can bring them in, and you don't have to apologize for the type of coffee that your church buys. And you don't have to apologize when the slides don't work right. Or when the mic cuts out. And you don't have to apologize when the pastor's announcement doesn't, can't even be heard. Because you know that the way you love each other and the other is so dynamic that it will change every life that comes into that community. That, friends, is the call that God has for Centerpoint City Church. But we have to let people past our porches, through our fences, into our family. We have to ask God to transform our minds. We have to say we will not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. The patterns. Build another fence. The patterns. But we will let God transform us by changing the way we think. And when that happens, we will be able to know and test and approve what His will is. And we will discover that His will is good. 
It's pleasing. It brings you joy. And it's perfect. I no longer want for me. I want for the stranger. I want the stranger to become my brother and my sister and my child and my mother. And my dining room smelled like alcohol for two days after Jeff left. Because he was part of my family. And this is what changes the world. When our want becomes his want. That's inspirational and all. But the reality is we live in a world that tells you you're not safe if you step outside of yourself and your fence. If you step into the violent place. If you step into the place where people are different than you. If you st- we, there's so many labels. All you have to think of is someone with a, with a different like skin color than you and there's a reason to be afraid. That's what our country does. That's what it does to our minds. And as we seek to be transformed and have the way we think changes, change by not conforming to those patterns, the w- only way to do that is to step out and beyond and trust that the way that God made me to love is enough to change the rest of the world. What we want has to change. And so, I believe my wife is going to sing a song that allows us to process some of this. Is this true, Anna? I hope it's true because we talked about it. Who... This is practical now. Rick Warren says, never preach a sermon without application. Who is God calling you to bring into your kingdom? To bring into your kingdom so that your kingdom can become Jesus' kingdom. Dallas Willard says that we live our lives wanting to exist in all of the power and the awesome stuff that Jesus and his disciples existed in, but we tell ourselves that we don't have the right faith or we tell ourselves that that was for then and not for now. All the while, God has given us some very simple things to follow that if we would follow them, they would fast forward us into what God's kingdom is like on this earth. Who is God calling you? How is God getting your attention right now? And who is he calling you to bring into your kingdom so that your kingdom can become Jesus' kingdom? Who is Jesus telling you? You know, I know they're not in your family, but it's time to bring them in. Just like I brought Zacchaeus in, and I brought the woman at the well in, and the weak. It's your turn. Who is going to help you transform your kingdom into Jesus' kingdom? Who is it? And may our want to be in this space change so that everyone can be in this space with us. I think I'm ready for a song now. from 
As you leave, there's a place for questions at that question mark table over there, and there's a visitor center right outside these doors. The reason my son was fearless is because he realized that our dining room didn't belong to him, that he didn't need to protect it, that if it's true that God's kingdom is invading our space, then that dining room was God's space. And God could have anyone in there that God wanted. And my son's only obligation at that point was to love Jesus and do a puzzle with Jeff. 
and not get mad about the Oreos. May you go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that you have all that is in you to open yourself up to anyone fearlessly and understand that God will protect you and that he will take care of you and that you can be a part of transforming another's life. Thanks for listening. Thanks for worshiping. If you're new, check out the Visitor Center. Go in peace.